0: Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from X-Growth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though. Let's dive right in.
1: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with XGrowth. And today I'm talking to Misha Gabriel, CEO at Movin, a company building software solutions for traffic management to reduce the impact of construction and road projects. Today we're discussing how movement has transitioned from word of mouth approach to a marketing-led growth plan, the challenges they've had faced along the way and how they've addressed them and what's next. On that note, let's dive in. Sha, thanks a lot for joining us.
2: Awesome. Great to be here.
1: No, oh, absolute pleasure. I mean, I I really love to unpack this. I mean, movement is you've you've gone through crazy growth. You've, uh, you've had some, some really awesome steps along the way. And now you're, my understanding is that now you're looking at kind of breaking out of that word of mouth and creating a system for, uh, for the growth of the company. Give us a little bit of a picture of what's happening and moving today on that front.
2: Cool. Awesome. Yeah, well, it was one of the ones where I think it's always important that we do this, we step back and go like, how can we go forward on this? And often what gets us to the place we are now won't get us going forward. And so as we start to unbreak that, it's really fascinating because we're trying to really leverage that value of that inbound, which we've been getting and recognizing, you know, what that delivered to us and why, but then taking that and figuring out how we can put that and leverage that at scale. And I think that's a really interesting thing for us as we start to really enable the marketing channel channel for us now, we've picked up all this amazing learnings from getting these referrals coming in. And it's like, how do we turn that into something which is a movement, something which can drive real speed behind what we're doing at movement?
1: I don't, okay. So let's talk about that. You know, you talked about there's a lot of inbound demand that is coming through. What was happening? Get, get, paint us a little bit of a picture of what was happening and moving before you kind of start this initiative of, of really driving mm. marketing within the organization. How did the whole sales and marketing and, and customer acquisition look like before that?
2: Yeah, cool. Perfect. So, so normal customer acquisition would be we sign a deal with a customer what happens is there's normally two or three other parties who end up getting access to movement software they'll see it they'll learn about it one of them will ring us up or maybe that customer talks to another person they'll ring us up so it was a really nice position because pretty much we were kept busy as a sales org from people ringing us up and saying we want to talk to you about this kind of piece of work or can you help us in this in this particular project and then so what that meant is from the sales organization, we weren't really learning how to generate a demand, and we weren't learning how to throttle that. So we had these guys who were bringing people on to take them through. We'd do this great job of obviously delivering to the customer, and that would drive us more work. I think one of the interesting things which we saw there is you then end up servicing the market who comes to you. And you know, if you're looking to scale really quickly and you're looking to grow really large, you've got to be quite clear about where your sandbox is and where your niche is. And so what that started to cause for us is we started picking up work, which is a little bit broader from what we should actually be doing today. And so that's this really interesting tension of you sitting there going, wow, we can help these people. This is really cool. Like it really fits with our ultimate mission, but it is the right thing for us to do right now. And so that's one of those interesting pieces which we found from the sales team. And, you know, the other flip side of that is you have something happen and you don't have an established pipeline sitting behind there. So you're a little bit at risk. So all of a sudden, if those those conversations don't keep coming into you, you don't know how to turn that tap on, and you don't know how to turn that tap on faster.
1: First of all, I think it's very interesting the the way the business model works. I don't think a lot of businesses are, are lucky enough that there will be multiple parties that could be a customer uh, involved in the uh, in the in the conversations, and they would be mm. fully exposed to uh, to the product. And then Mm -hmm. later on asking for it. I mean, that is, uh, that is, that is, that's awesome. But I also get the fact that you would then go through those feast or famine cycles, right? Of like multiple people are coming in and you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then, oh shit, there's nothing, there's there's nobody talking to us. What's, uh, what are we going to do guys? Got to hit some of those numbers. So what's happening now? I I mean, I've I've, I've heard of you talk about Mm -hmm. transitioning to a marketing led um, Mm -hmm. growth plan. What is going on on that front?
2: So, so there's probably three different objectives for us. So one, because we're really introducing marketing from a scratch in, in this business, is really the next two years for us is actually a learning phase. So if you step back from all of this, we go, what we want to do is figure out how do we get the message which resonates, how do we act about our audience, and how do we grow grow that marketing engine within movement so that in two years time we can come and throw some real money at it and grow it so i'm really active in all the work which we're doing right now is going i deliberately want to do a couple of variants and i want to see what fails because if we don't test the bounds we, we just won't be able to learn right so we might find something mm. which is effective and this, this is something i've always struggled with, with in the marketing space. Is you know when you're doing nothing doing something works and you can pat yourself on the back and you're like cool but we're going great but you don't know if it could be twice as good so we want to be really deliberate in this phase about like how do we understand what really works and what doesn't within that framework we're looking at a near-term objective which is we've got an expanding sales team so we've rapidly expanded the number of sales we have we want to feed them highly qualified leads right so we just want to do a good basic marketing job so again cool let's just execute on that like let's keep it tight let's keep it focused let's just drive some drive some value to the business but at the same time we'll set this really clear goal So we're in this lucky and interesting position where we've got a market we're operating in who knows they need to change how they're working and knows how to articulate what's important to them, but is not sure how to approach it. So my kind of Mm -hmm. thesis with this is we've got this really strong position. If we can do it right, we're in five years time. We can have a really strong owned and media position where we've helped to articulate how they go about solving that problem. And our strength of brand is actually a major driver for this, the ability of the business to scale. So what we're doing is we're going, how do we do some tactical activity now, but how do we start to do that work, the really hard yards work, which takes years, and you know, really t- challenge ourselves on how we're being unique and being relevant so that we can get to that position. And so it's this really interesting tension at the moment of, you know, diving a little bit deep on personas and strategy at the same time as just trying to be a little bit tactical and just going, how do we help and boost revenue in the door?
1: Right. And when it comes to, you know, you you said you, you're you're all obviously working on, doing a lot of work on the marketing side, but you're also hmm. working a lot on in terms of building the sales team. Are you looking at a mix of sales team in terms of outbound and inbound, or is it right now uh, the primary focus is on uh, on inbound?
2: So so, so what we're focused on at the moment, as we've said, within Australia, we can hire people who are good at outbound. So, you know, they're just hunters and they can go out. They've sold construction technology before and they can do that. So we're really building that team and they're doing an amazing job of saying to kick that off. But when we look at our market at scale, you go actually across the developed world, we've got this reasonably homogenous problem. So the US, you know, UK, New Zealand, Canada, we're all facing the same problem. got a really quite clearly definable audience and who's quite highly educated who's got reasonably easy decision-making authority but they're geographically siloed so even in sydney if you look at sydney or melbourne those teams are scattered all out across the city across the city so you know if we had a field sales team it's going to take them ages just to drive around melbourne or to drive around sydney alone. so this is that really interesting piece for us to go actually as a sales team let's just get those guys running that can work for two years, three years for us. That's great. That builds some revenue that funds our time and effort to build that real engine, to drive the the leads and, and new business into into moving, which is marketing. So we go like, we need to have the time. We need to have the cash to really fund that. So let's do field sales up. You go do that. At the same time, we're starting to transition and we're starting to look at how we drive marketing forward.
1: I love that because I feel like, in a lot of organizations, that is from a leadership perspective, that is not very clear for the leadership, right? And they would mm. look at the look at the marketing engine and they would be like, all right, so in three months time, we're gonna get something, right? And no. that's not <laughs> how marketing works. Uh, you know, marketing <laughs> marketing if you if you focus on brand, like you said, that could take mm. 12 months, 18 months for it to really start to ramp up. Yes. Mm. You know, in two, three years time, it will definitely beat a lot of other angles of, of uh, mm. other other go-to-market strategies, but it will take time. So I, I really love how you're mm. balancing the two and doing short term, having a strong focus on the on the field sales component while building the uh, the 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 marketing engine yeah, yeah, as yeah. well.
2: It's yeah. one of the things which I find kind of most empowering is when you look at a go-to-market plan to scale, and we spent quite a time quite a lot of time mulling on this going, how do I break it down? And I've only got a small job to be done at each, each phase. So it's just like, what's sufficient at this, this stage? It doesn't need to be perfect, you know, and time will change and we'll transition through different phases, but it's really, really nice to break that down. And then you start to look through this as well and you go, what's that role of customer success? What's the role of the product? So for us, that ability to share and have other customers come in, that's deliberate, like that's built into our product. So we're starting to look from a product perspective of going, how do we think about scarcity? How do we think about progress? How do we think about status and how we build our product? Now, if we can like slowly go through this evolution for our go to market, which all of these things are starting to revolve and turn on themselves, then you get to a really, really powerful engine, which is which is pretty hard to turn off. And you know, sales is absolutely still part of that. And that's one of those interesting messages to the team. It's like, you guys are doing an amazing job doing it in this way. At, for the time being, we think we're going to transition away from this, but that doesn't make your job less relevant at all. You know, we've got all these interesting aspects of where that goes to and how that evolves as well.
1: Got it. Got it. As you're going through this process, what was something that you've learned that was maybe at the bit initially you, you didn't think about, or you felt like it was like, Oh, I didn't realize that's how it works. Or, or I didn't realize I should think about it that way. Was there anything mm. that was like a light bulb moment for you going through, educating yourself
2: and, and putting the plan together? I think probably the biggest light bulb moment for me over the last three years from, from um, you know, setting up, moving and, and growing it was actually what sales can be and what sales should be. So it's quite easy to have a little bit of a negative view of sales. But my God, like, you know, from doing quite a few years of it now myself, like i i said this a few times recently, I, I wish you could go to university and do like a bachelor's or a, market, a master's in sales, right? It's, it's just crazy. Like we teach people about finance, we teach people about marketing, like sales absolutely is an art, but man, there's a lot of skill there as well. There's a lot of methodology. There's a lot of things you can do. Like, you know, having, having been in it for quite a while now, I'm looking at it and going, like if you know how to break down this problem and you put the hours and the effort in, you're pretty much guaranteed the result. And the amazing thing is it's not a nasty result for your customer, right? Like you 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 can sometimes get that perception. So if you're doing it right, you're genuinely understanding how you're solving a problem for them and you're understanding what it's worth and you're charging for that. And that's fine, right? And so I think that's that's the big lesson for me is, you know, I guess the discipline and the knowledge Mm. which actually sits behind well-run sales has been really, really interesting. And it's, you know, part of my role I never want to kind of fully let go of anymore because it's just it's really fun and it's really, it's a great space to be in. And so that's something nice because it used to seem a little bit more transactional and a, a means to an end, which, you know, it's, it's a bit harsh, but that's kind of something how it feels. So. I,
1: I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, I've, I went through that process as well. I was like, you know, this sales thing, this, this dark magic of uh, convincing people, making them, Pay you money, and then once you go through that process, you're like, "Wow, there's like a lot of moving parts, and there's a lot of things that you need to learn." And you're right, there's no proper educational process for it, even though it's one of the highest-paying jobs out there. You know, you got salespeople on on in especially if you look at in the technology space, an account ex- a senior account executive on 200000 dollars a year, and yep. uh, yet there is there's no kind of career or educational path towards that. And it, and it's, uh, it, it just blows your mind. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Totally. Totally. So the other thing that I wanted to ask is we, we, we talked about some of the objectives that you want to, you want to achieve, right. Uh, In terms Mm. of that transition to a marketing led growth plan. Are there any other objectives that, that
2: you're, you're looking at hitting that we didn't touch on? So funny enough, as a, as a whole business, really my objective for the next two years is if I can get us to have a really strong culture, where we are really clear on our purpose and we're really clear on our mission and we understand how we can tackle these things, we'll be set up for success for that next hurdle. So everything we're doing in this next two years, there's the outward facing stuff I need to do. So there's, there's the things I need to do to be able to close out another investment round. There's the things I need to do to make investors happy. What I'm really looking at is like, how do I get this really strong unit of a team running with really strong alignment so that we can exit out of this two-year space at just massive velocity so if we can take our team and make it five times as big at the end of that and it's reasonably well run instruction and everyone kind of knows how to feed that in i'm super super happy and so actually underlying everything i'm doing is that so it's going like how do we understand what's important how do we understand how we go about it? it's like how do we create a move and feel which is well beyond me right so I think sometimes the cliche which comes through and you get pushed on is they're expecting one of the founders to be quite involved, and that's the driving force within the business, which you clearly are. But I'd love this thing to live, you know, without me. Now, I've still got a a big input in that, but how does that form, like how does that have its own identity, its own personality, and its own clarity and real hunger to drive and achieve what it needs to? If we can do that, I'm really confident that as a team we'll be able to, you know, cover off all the different hurdles you'll have as you start scaling. But that, that's, that's the core objective.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. Changing lanes a little bit. Mm. I also want to talk about some of the mistakes that, uh, that you've kind of made as mm. you're, you're doing this transition, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the things that you did and, and you're like, oh, well, that, that doesn't work. Does anything come to mind?
2: Probably a few things. There's, there's, and it's, it's hard, right? Because you kind of think you've got stuff set up in the right way. I think probably from my side, we've underinvested in our website. We've underinvested in that digital presence. So look, it's really easy. When you have customers coming to you and ringing you up, it feels like everything's kind of rosy. And you see the ones who come to you, right? And they've gone through the filter. And they're happy. What we're not seeing, and because we are so busy with that crowd who came through all the ways of looking at us, is all the other people. Now, you can't kid yourself that everyone's researching our digital presence beforehand. Everyone's looking at that. Now, what I think we've really done is probably let ourselves down on that because we constrained our bandwidth we said okay let's hit this mark, let's bootstrap let, let's do that we probably should have found a way of enacting some of that a little bit sooner I think we'll probably constrained some of our growth that way and just haven't haven't been able to articulate ourselves as, as well as possible so that's you know the website the some of our social activity and, and things like that we just we probably let that get a little bit you know worse than it should have been or, or underinvested in that. Yeah, I hear you. It's it's
1: hot. it's when the money's coming through the door. It's it's you know, it's hard to pay attention to some of the issues, right? Or you might not even see them.
2: Um, yeah, well, you, you get you get busy on the issues which come through, but I, again you step back and I look at this and I go, well, maybe 20, 30 percent of that work, yes, we can win it and we can do it, but it's probably not where we should be focusing. And so the beauty of if you if you're normally running marketing well is you're quite clear on where you're focusing. And so I think that's the problem. Is you get sales led, you do chase that money, right? Because you're like, oh, we're trying to hit a number, we're trying to hit a number for the month or for the quarter, and it's a good deal, so you you do the deal. And we've been pretty good. Like you know, everyone's on the same version of the product. There's no customization. Like we're not in a bad shape from that. But we were still just doing work which was fundamentally harder and took longer than it probably should have, without recognizing the opportunity cost, which is like in that same time we might have closed three deals which were in our sweet spot, spot more. And that's really hard to hard to juggle. But, you know, that's certainly probably a mistake which we end up making going you know, a little bit too far down, you know, in the interest of trying to show a revenue number, showing, you know, picking up more of that type of work.
1: Yeah, and I think it's, you're right. It's, it's even harder when you're, I mean, when you have a sales role and you're in the weeds mm. and uh, it's just like, all you see is the hunt. All you see is like, I got to land that and they're halfway
2: through our process and uh you know uh, and in our world, world they're really cool problems so like you know a really pragmatic example is we've done a little bit for for some councils around speed and safety so how are they changing like speed around schools or when they're changing speed limits in cities like how is that making it safer or not so you look at the stuff and you're like this is awesome i can have a real impact like this is Funny enough, it's as a driver you first go through and you're like, oh, this is really frustrating. But as you start to learn and talk to the industry, you just realise the difference that, you know, a pedestrian being hit by a car at 50 versus 30 kilometers an hour, like one, you're most likely going to die. The other one you're most likely going to survive and have minor impact, right? And so you start to learn this stuff and you're like, oh wow, I can help. But there's an opportunity cost with all of that. And, and so that's that's the hard thing, even if it's even if it's interesting work you still got to think about what you're doing and sometimes just just try to keep narrow is my my approach at this point like try to solve one thing really really well and in time we can do everything else but we, we got to nail that core first so
1: got it got it now michelle before we we wrap up and i have a few other questions rapid fire questions i want to ask you but before we wrap up and there was there's been a lot of insights and a lot of great points that you've, you've brought up, but if, you know, for, especially for, um, if there are fa- founders in the B2B space mm. who are looking to that, looking for that transition and that move, what would be an advice that you would have for them on, on this front?
2: Two things, you can't abdicate sales. So I often see founders, particularly technical founders, who think when they get to a scale, they can just kind of give sales off to someone else. And two, definitely, definitely think about investing in marketing early, but really understand what that investment looks like over time. That's not a tactical piece of activity to win quick work.
1: That's a that's a really solid advice, both of them. What on, on the second one, was that a was that a was that a point of view that you had earlier on that, you know, okay, we're gonna invest some in marketing and that's gonna get results. Was that was that something that uh that you had
2: yourself initially or, or not really yeah no 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 it definitely was so you know a really good example for me is so I worked for New Zealand for a number of years and it's a really strong brand and it's a, it's a funny one right Because a lot of people don't value brand but when you work for say New Zealand and I would see people consistently spending more money to fly with us when they had a choice to go somewhere else and like you know materially more money, which made a really big difference in, in profitability and other things to come with us. When I saw our staff, even years after flying, sorry, years after leaving the company, still choosing in New Zealand because they're so loyal to it, I was like, that's 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 worth a lot, right? Like we've got a common cause, we've got a common belief. And so I've always held to that. And so that's when I got really excited actually coming into the space, which we're doing now is we're going, fundamentally everyone we're working with from a customer set wants to make our cities better we want to make them thrive and we're struggling like, they're in gridlock we're trying to make them better but it's just nasty messy so i'm like there's this really cool marketing angle right like i totally if i could give them my job and come back as a cmo it'd be such an awesome challenge like there's no one else who's here Greenfields, you've got this really cool purpose driven reason for existing and you've got an audience which is hungry right so there's a whole heap of challenge in that but the fascinating space, and so yeah, that, that, that's certainly a strong belief I've had from beforehand.
1: Yeah, that's um, that's such a good point. I think you know, for me, the whole concept, and I, you know, I in the literature you read about the importance of brand, and and you know, once it was driven home for me when we did this, we did these for for in through our agency, we did this ABM campaign for one client and then another client, and they were both in the same space. One had a much stronger brand than the other one. And the difference was just crazy. Like when you did the campaign through the stronger brand, Mm -hmm. I think the number was like the the outcome was like five point. We did the math on it it was like 5.6 times better than the Mm -hmm. company. Same thing, right? Same Mm -hmm. thing. And uh, there were some subtle differences, but not 5.6 times differences. Uh, Mm -hmm. The major thing was the brand. And it was fascinating, the difference between the two. Uh-huh. And
2: it's, it's such an interesting challenge for a business, right? Because the, the thing is that you can get under financial pressure and you get encouraged to reduce some of that brand spending, right? Or you're doing all this stuff and it seems to be less directly linked. And it's kind of the challenge with marketing is that it's got quite digital and analytical, which is kind of cool. Like it's really changed how we can do marketing, which I love. But it also drives some really bad outcomes in how you're mm-hmm. looking at solving the problem. And so some of the stuff that's hard, you know, you... Do have to spend the money. Some of it's not going to work, some of it is. But it's kind of not the point, right? And so like that when you when I see it, it's so painful when I see people go, oh, we're not quite performing how we should be, but let's pull back. Where are you gonna pull back? Oh, you pull back on the more strategic side and we'll just keep the tactical stuff out. And you know that if you let yourself go down that path, my God, you know, you'd find yourself in a pretty awful place in two to three years' time. Very true. Very true.
1: Okay. All right. I got some rapid fire questions for us. Yep. Okay. That we're gonna go through. Let's go. So the first one is: What is one resource? It could be a book, a blog, a podcast, whatever it is mm. that has mm. fundamentally changed the way you
2: work or live. I reckon probably at the moment it'd be Greylock podcast, and I've mentioned this actually just recently on on a couple of things. Oh no, actually, re- reframe there. I'll go free economics the podcast. Oh economics. really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I love it. They tackle all sorts of different topics and all sorts of different issues. And they normally come up with a position which is a little bit different from what you think or the will be an aspect to it. So it doesn't relate to anything in particular, but it just teaches me to continuously look at a problem and really think about it.
1: Love it. Question number two, if you could give one advice to uh, someone in the B2B, what would it be? It could even be a founder.
2: Uh, B2B sales, marketing, just in, in general.
1: B2, let's say B two B founder, someone similar in in your own position who's maybe a little bit a little bit earlier.
2: Yeah, I, I just say look, we we're, we're all people. You're selling to people. It's a it's a human to human game. I love
1: it. Question number three: What are some who are some of the influencers you follow in the in the sales and marketing and uh, and business space?
2: Interesting one. I'll, I'll take a different different take on on this one maybe as well. So very much a fan of social psychology. So actually, people like Malcolm Gladwell and thinking about how you think and influences and how influence occurs there's some really fascinating pieces there so again almost dovetailing into that prior one so we're dealing with humans like how do we crack these things like how do we motivate people that that i found the most kind of inspirational from a tactical level um you know i've, I've been following me working with scott Sambucci a little bit who's a, a sales guy up in the us Um, matt from sassy sales i heard him speak a couple of times i don't know him well but love people who are just like cut through open, honest. They may be right about some things. They may be wrong about others, but they've just got a clear opinion. So, Love
1: it. Okay. Last question. Last question. What's something that excites you? I mean, you, you, you've you now been in the whole B2B sales and marketing for a while. What excites mm-hmm.
2: you about B2B today? I guess, particularly from an Australian, New Zealand perspective, the impact we can have on the world. So we're, we're really well positioned to actually take on some very, very large markets because we all recognize that Our kind of home market or where we are is just too small, right? So we have to think global right from the start. And we're doing that in a really different way. But I think of what I've seen from B2B businesses and bigger markets, the markets are so massive that they don't have to try that hard. So the thing which I love and which really excites me is just the ecosystem which we're starting to build within Australia and New Zealand about really great ideas. People are really, really hungry. And almost from our starting point as the underdog, I think you know if we can break through, we've got a really good chance of success. Love it,
1: so This has been great. I I love that our conversation. I think there were some great points about the transition from from word of mouth to a marketing led uh, growth uh, methodology. I think you shared some some awesome advice and uh, and even challenges that uh, that you've been going through. So I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks. Man.
0: Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for all the support. And we're looking forward to seeing you again
2: in the next one.